0: Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. talk. Good morning and welcome to Friday. This is Peter Lewis with the final Money Talk of the week. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. And thank you for making this podcast one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong and Singapore, according to Podstatus. In today's business and finance headlines, US headline inflation in July ticked up slightly from June, but the rise was lower than expected. The consumer price index rose 0.2% from June to July, matching June's advance and in line with market forecasts. The CPI increased 3.2% year-over-year. Year. That's up from the annual rate of 3% in June, but below Economist's forecasts of 3.3%. But it does mark a halt in 12 consecutive months of declines in inflation. China has criticised President Joe Biden's long-awaited executive order restricting US investment in certain Chinese technology sectors. However, Beijing stops short of issuing countermeasures, although it reserves the right to respond. In a statement Thursday, China's Commerce Ministry said this seriously deviates from market economy and fair competition principles, undermines the international economic and trade order, and seriously disrupts the security of the global industrial and supply chains. The Reserve Bank of India held its policy interest rate at 6.5% for the third consecutive meeting yesterday, matching market expectations. However, the RBI said that headline inflation is expected to surge in July and August, led by vegetable prices after a rebound to 4.8% in June. The RBI maintained its growth forecast for the fiscal year at 6.5%, while raising its inflation forecast to 5.4% from 5.1%. On today's program, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Nitin Deoldas, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. With a view from Australia, is Toby Lawson, CEO at Staten Partners. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, PeterLewisMoneyTalk.substack.com. <laughs> U.S. stocks trimmed earlier gains but remained in positive territory on Thursday as markets further assessed the Fed's monetary policy outlook following new evidence of disinflation in the U.S. economy. The data aligned with market bets that the Fed will refrain from raising rates in September, but the rally lost some of its traction after San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly stated the central bank could leave borrowing costs at a restrictive level for longer. The S&P 500 inched up just one point to 4,469. The Dow added 53 points, or 0.2%, to finish at 35,176. It was boosted by shares of Disney, which rose almost 5% following its earnings report and after it announced an upcoming price hike for ad-free Disney Plus subscriptions. The Nasdaq Composite rose 0.1% to close at 13,738. Asia-Pacific markets were mixed Thursday as investors awaited the U.S. inflation report, but tourism-related stocks in Japan and South Korea surged after China said it would relax pandemic-era restrictions on tour groups traveling to 78 countries with immediate effect. The list included Japan and South Korea, favorite destinations of Chinese tour groups before 2020. In South Korea, shares in Lottie Tour development surged 30%, and those in Paradise Group, which runs casinos that cater exclusively to foreigners rallied more than 18%. In Tokyo, shares in department stores climbed sharply and airline stocks in China, Japan and South Korea also jumped higher. Chinese equities rebounded from morning losses following the US executive order restricting investment into the country's quantum computing, advanced chip and artificial intelligence industries. The Hang Seng Index closed the day with gains of just two points at 19,248. The tech index rose 0.1%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite was a third of a percent higher at 3,255. Chinese property developer Country Garden, which missed two coupons payments on $500 million of bonds on Sunday, extended its declines, falling another 6.3%. Its property management affiliates, Country Garden Services, tumbled 4.3%. And in a filing to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange late yesterday, Country Garden said it expects to record a net loss ranging between 45 billion yuan, that's six and a quarter billion US dollars, and 55 billion yuan for the first six months of 2023. That compares with a profit of around 1.9 billion yuan in the same period last year. And Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba on Thursday reported revenue grew by 14% year on year and the quarter ended June the 30th to 300, uh, sorry, 234.2 billion Chinese yuan. That's about 32.3 billion US dollars. And that versus 225 billion yuan expected by analysts. And the company said it was driven by improvements across all of its business sectors. Net income rose fifty-one per cent year on year to thirty-four point three billion yuan, handly beating analyst forecasts of twenty-eight point seven billion yuan, and US traded shares of Alibaba surged five point seven per cent. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which is at Peter Lewis Every
1: Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis
0: it's a Friday morning, and I know that because I can see sitting <laughs> opposite me Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. Like uh, clockwork, Francis, yeah, every yeah, Friday. Good
2: morning. <laughs> and also with us is
0: Nitin Dialdus, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Nice to see you as well, Nitin. Good morning, Peter. Um, China has responded to the White House ban on US investment mm. in tech sectors. If you remember, we discussed this yesterday. President Joe Biden issued an executive yeah. order banning US investment into quantum computing advanced chips and artificial intelligence sectors in China. While China um, has responded, it stops short of issuing countermeasures, although it does reserve the right to respond. And in a statement Thursday, China's Commerce Ministry said, this seriously deviates from the market economy and fair competition principles that the US has always advocated. It affects the normal operation and decision-making of enterprises, undermines the international economic and trade order, and seriously disrupts the security of global ...industrial and supply chains. Francis, does it do all of that?
2: Well, uh, not to that extent... ...but certainly it will hurt the uh, tech sector in China... ...especially on on this uh, 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 venture capital... ...because when you look at the first wave of uh, uh, Chinese uh, tech stocks... Uh, ...internet stocks like, like Alibaba, Sina, etc... They've all been helped by American venture capital. Mm. Uh, What Biden uh, did was basically shut down the venture capital uh, uh, investment in the tech sector in China. Mm. So uh, what it means is that uh, China will have to look elsewhere, uh, like Hong Kong, for venture capital if they want to start a new venture in high tech. Mm. But what China has always wanted, the reason why
0: it likes these joint ventures is because it gets the know how, doesn't it, from these companies. Yeah, um,
2: well, not just know how, but actually the money. Mm. Because, Do they really need the money? Uh, well, uh, Alibaba would not have become a big company without money from uh, SoftBank and uh, Yahoo, mm. certainly. Mm. What
0: do you think, Nitin? Does it go as far as maybe? I, I get the impression it doesn't go as far as maybe people were fearing um, a, a while ago. and Maybe the uh, uh, you know the Treasury Department, which is the one that's been calling most of all for you know these restrictions to be very narrowly tailored, has won the argument, won the day.
3: Yeah, you're right. It hasn't gone as far, but i also I question it. You know, you talk about national security, but you're actually saying that American companies can't invest into Chinese internet or uh, sorry AI and chips and all those kind of stuff. But national security should be the other way around, right? Shouldn't it be China not being allowed to invest into America because then they're getting the IP from those American companies. Mm. What you're stopping is Americans getting Chinese IP effectively. Mm. So it doesn't really affect US national security the way I see it. I mean, I I look at it as a point, as exactly as Francis just said, they just don't want the technology companies in China to get super strong. So they're trying to limit some sort of capital to them. But... In terms of national security side, I think that's just an excuse and it's not actually reality in terms of if you want to protect national security, you want to know what's going on the other side. You want that knowledge, you'll invest into that company so you get that knowledge in and figure out this is what they're doing. That's how we protect national security. Mm. Um, so it, it's, it's an interesting play. I think it really is just to try and slow down the tech sector growth in, in China, especially on the high-end chip side. But, um, yeah, it, it could have gone further. And I don't really think in the long run it's going to be too harmful for China because China will look at other markets and they'll get those money, that money in one way mm. or another if the companies are good. But it comes down to quality now. It's, if the companies have got quality, people will invest. It doesn't mm. matter where they are from the world.
0: I mean, to be clear, it doesn't yeah. ban investment, does it, in these, these sectors. It just means um, American companies have to get approval first before they can do it. But well, I, I don't know what yeah. the chances will be of them getting that approval. But um, I, I assume also that... It uh, has a bigger impact on JVs. If you're a company that enters into a JV with a Chinese company, then you are providing know-how as well, aren't you? So that's uh, probably more going to be the focus?
3: Yeah, I would think so. And I, and I agree with that. I think the JVs is where it gets hurt. But again, if China, you know, these Chinese companies are doing JVs with all these other companies all over the world and they can't do it with the American companies, who's falling behind here? Mm, yeah. it's, not, it's not necessarily the Chinese company. It, it is mm. probably the American companies in, in a certain way. Um, so I actually think in the, in the longer run, it's probably doing more harm to the American side of it than the Chinese side. Because as I said, China these Chinese companies, if they're good and they do have quality behind them, they'll find the money from elsewhere. Mm. Now, whether the UK decides it wants to follow US suits, uh, the US suit and kind of put some sort of implications or um, banning in there as well, that, that's fine because there's still Southeast Asia, there's the rest of Asia, there's Australia, New Zealand, there, there's Africa, there's a whole world out there. Mm-hmm. Where Chinese companies, Israel is, a, you know, could be a good source as well. Where Chinese companies can get money from, and they will develop, and they will be able to do certain JVs with co- people in those countries. And so, yeah, as I, I said, I find it, I found it a very interesting one, the way that they mm. played it.
0: Do- Do you think, Francis, we're at the end now or close to the end of all these bans and restrictions? (laughs) Is there anything else in the pipe or has everything that they want to do been done now? Well, well, they're not going to be lifted, (laughs) are they? We've got to live with them for a long time. But is there anything new coming?
2: Well, well I, think, I, I think the Chinese uh, government is really disappointed with the Biden uh, administration because when uh, Biden first took office, they, they had hoped that at least uh, he would have lifted the, uh, the t- tariffs that were imposed mm. by uh, Trump. Because that's hurting American consumer more than anything else, but he did not do that, and he expanded the uh, uh, sanction list, and uh, uh, well, uh, continue to 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 uh, limit uh, Chinese access to high technology, and and even getting Hol- uh, Holland, Japan, and Korea to be on their side, so so uh what the chinese see is is really American encirclement more than anything else so so it, it is really what what the Chinese say is a cold war mentality is mm. is you is them or us is the enemy or us so it's it's not good for uh, uh, sino american relationship going forward I, oh, think, okay. I think Americans will lose the market share. Except for Tesla and uh, and Apple. (laughs) These two are too entrenched in China. (laughs) Mm.
0: Do you think China sees President Biden as being worse than President Trump?
2: Well, uh, from the action, yes. Uh, Because uh, 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 Trump did not go as far as uh, Biden. Mm. I think uh, Biden has gone much further than Trump. But of course, Trump is much more irrational.
0: So can can relations get back on track now between the US and China as long as all these restrictions and bans
2: are in place? I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Because uh, uh, America is so scared that uh, it will lose the technology edge over China. Mm. As as in the sixty, that uh, Americans are so worried about a Soviet threat. So, mm. so I, I I don't think relationship can get warmer in, uh, in the near future.
0: What do you think, Nitin? Do you think uh, any way relations President Biden says he wants to draw a line under the relations? You know, he wants things to improve, and maybe there might be a meeting between him and Xi Jinping later um, this year. Can, uh, can things get back on track?
3: Um they I think, at this point, like Francis said, it's very difficult because America's saying one thing and doing another in the sense you know they 've had these meetings or they 've arranged meetings with China counterparts saying that they want to improve relations, and then every time they do that, they then impose another sanction so mm-hmm. it's you know it's saying it's trying to show face but at the same time doing the complete opposite and I think china are are, are aware of that and they 're not you know being silly but it's it's really down to politics, isn't it? It's about how do I win this election? We're in, we, you know we're coming up to an election year. It's really all about I need to win an election. What do I do? And China's mm. easy. It's easy prey, and it comes down to if I show the American public I'm doing something against China, I get to win this election. the re- The reality is it's probably hurting your country a lot more in the longer run, as Francis said. You know, cons- Americans consumers have been hurt by tariffs. We're saying maybe American companies could be hurt by this uh, technology move. So you're actually, in the long run, hurting your own, com- your own country, mm. but this is purely down in- to win an election. It's,
0: it's about it's- the only thing Republicans and Democrats agree on, isn't it? Yeah, so
2: well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
3: And, you know, going back to your Trump, uh, Trump versus Biden argument, I mean, Trump, at the same time, being playing the politics. He was also a businessman. So he knew how far he can go without necessarily hurting the businesses too much. Biden is just pure politician, so he's going further. On the basis that that, that's all he cares about is I just want to win this election and Mm -hmm. I'll do whatever it does and I'll, 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 you know, I'll make me look good on that stage. Um, not necessarily caring so much about ne- necessary economic impact going forward. I don't think.
0: Mm. Well, let's switch our attention to the economy, Francis. We've had quite a lot of um, mm. economic data out this week, haven't yeah. we? On the on the inflation side, um, China's consumer price index dropped by zero point three percent year on year in July. That's the first decrease since February twenty twenty one. So effectively, China's in deflation, isn't it? Both on the consumer side and the producer <laughs> price side.
2: Well, actually, the deflation is caused. Cost- by one item, the price of pork fell 20% last month from here. I was going to ask you <laughs> about that. Does that mean
0: it's just a temporary thing? Things are going to rebound?
2: Uh, I, I think so, because grain prices are going up again, and, mm. and the energy costs are going up. Yeah, the price of uh, natural gas is shooting through the roof in Europe. And uh, you have uh, uh strike by oil workers in the Australia. So yeah. energy costs are going up. So I think uh, maybe uh, next month or, or the month after next, and we, we will have inflation again. But uh, I, th- I think the other problem is really the producer price, which continue to fall. And that really showed the... Uh, weak demand from uh, Chinese exports from mm. all over the world. I think uh, China is not the only country that is experiencing that. I think uh, South Korea, Japan, and Korea uh, and uh, Taiwan expect uh, are experiencing uh, fall in exports. I think it's a global situation. So it... it it doesn't speak well for, for, the, for the rest of the year. I think uh, 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 China may not enter into a recession, but uh, it, it, it will not be able to grow at 5% as mm-hmm. originally expected.
0: And um, should we be worried about this deflation? A lot of people yeah. are sort of saying that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the government needs to do something. It should cut the triple R, cut interest rates, provide fiscal and monetary stimulus. It, is it that urgent that the government does need to respond? Or
2: Yeah, the government should do something because they have been saying it for months. And, and all, all we have is some, something like 21-point action, 26-point action, 31-point action. <laughs> but they're all empty talks. I think they need to do something because the unemployment situation is really explosive. Half the uh, 11 million graduates cannot find work.
3: Mm, and, this is a big problem. Uh, yeah, isn't it? it's
2: a creating a social problem. I think the government must do something. Listen, do you worry about deflation?
3: Yeah, I think China as a whole I'm quite worried about. And you're right, you can cut RRI, you can cut interest rates, but. Um, but is that the wise move? Because the credit markets, as it is, is already and you know got a few issues there. So, do you actually want to start increasing credit more? I think what China needs to do is it needs to do a big PR job actually, and it needs to start attracting overseas talent to come in there. It needs to actually allow foreign businesses to come in and operate and bring money with it. Um, because not only have you got an issue in terms of the local population, you've got demographic issues. I mean, you've got a declining population. Mm. So how are you going to get your economy back on track when you've got a declining population, youth unemployment at 21 percent, as Francis said, fresh graduates, unemployment's at over 50 percent. It's social problem after social problem. You've clamped down on the private space. you say that you want to get the private markets back up and running. But again, it's kind of what I was saying about America. You say something and you do another. You're not actually following through with those actions where you're allowing private industries to reflourish. You're trying to target them into certain areas, which is already done well, but that doesn't add creativity. It doesn't add anything new to what you've already Mm got. So are you actually going to benefit your economy in any way that way? Um, So I think it really needs a whole new new outlook. And it's got to be a little bit less closed and a lot more like, no, this is what we are. This is what we want to do. This is how we're going to get it. Because there will be companies that will go into China, given the population as it is. I mean, you've got 1, 1. 1.4 billion people. Obviously, you'd be stupid not to try and enter it. But you need to start encouraging people to come into China and start spending money and bringing money with it. Because mm-hmm. you can't just do it domestically. I know the initial plan was that they could. I think they're now finding out they can't.
0: It it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong though, that the the priority for President Xi Jinping is not the economy. The two things that he's most concerned about are firstly national security and then secondly winning the tech war with the US, you know, (laughs) trying to reduce its dependency upon the US, becoming self-sufficient in technology. Those two things seem to be a bigger priority than the economy, which is why we're not seeing the government really do anything.
3: But don't they go hand in hand? I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got a weakening economy, you're going to have a lot more social unrest because there are a lot more people unemployed. There are a lot more people not earning as much. It, it, it all goes hand in hand. So your national security and that alone gets somewhat hurt over the fact that you're going to have internal social unrest. Like, I'm now struggling. You know, I'm a young kid. I've got my ideologies. I, you know, I've come out of university. I've got a graduate degree. I was told I can get a good job. I can't get a job now. I mean, how do you think that person's going to feel? he's going to get angry the next person you know and you've got 21 22 23 of that youth Mm. area that's going to be getting angrier and angrier by the day so internally you've got the social unrest in terms of the tech war the only way to improve the tech war is that you've got to be allowing people to be creative over it Mm. it's not just going oh because evs worked in the past we're only going to go into evs or because this one industry worked, we can the whole way to win the tech war is actually to allow the creativity, allow the private guys to go out there and find and explore and find out where the boundaries are. And I don't think they allow that. And so is he, you know, while that might be the focus, is he doing anything re- in reality to hit those those targets? I don't think so.
0: Francis, why, why do you think that Beijing's not responding?
2: <laughs> well, well, I think it, it was only yesterday that uh, uh, China opened up to for uh, uh, tourism, group tourism to uh, something like 30 or 70 70, ca- 78 countries, yeah, 78 countries yeah. Yeah, including Japan, Korea, US, Australia, etc. So uh, what, uh, one, one data really stood out is that in the first half of the year, only 52,000 foreigners visited China. That is a shockingly mm. low figure, meaning that uh, in the first half, of the year, China is still close to the world. Mm. I think what what we need to do is really opening up China for foreigners to come and for Chinese to visit overseas countries. At least you you have a tourism sector that will be uh, rejuvenating and and employing young people. I think that's one one thing you can do. And uh, sending more two groups out outward, and then welcoming more two groups inside. Mm. I think that's one thing you can do.
0: And this would help the employment situation with that's, a lot of the young people. Yeah, definitely, that's jobs they could do.
2: Mm-hmm let them work in the hospitality sector let them work in hotels and restaurants what does
0: oh sorry i
3: was just going to say i mean i I agree with you they can work there but again you got to look at what the youth want as well they want that gig economy back too and are you going to get kickstart that because that that's important too Mm. it's not just so things
0: like online education and uh, you know where they were tutors online and you know providing language lessons and so on and that got wiped out overnight pretty well yeah yeah exactly
2: Mm. Yeah, I think they, they, they should reverse their policy.
0: <laughs> what is the risk that uh, China, well, when I say risk, that China exports its deflation around the world and in turn that starts lowering inflation elsewhere in the world, makes it easier for maybe the Fed to stay on hold and not raise interest rates? Do you think uh, yeah, that's this could good. happen?
2: <laughs> that, that's what that would happen be good, to wouldn't the 20, first uh, 15 years of uh, the 21st century. Because a cheap Chinese manufactured goods help lower inflation mm. in the developed world. Mm. We used to have a television costing $100,000. Now you can buy a Chinese television for about $6,000 mm. on call. Very cheap. <laughs> mm.
0: Well, we had some inflation data out of the US. Uh, The Bureau of Labor Statistics yesterday reported that the consumer price index in the United States rose 0.2% from June to July. That matched uh, the advance seen in June. It was also in line with market forecasts. The CPI increased 3.2% year over year. That's up from the annual rate of 3% in June. But that was below economists' forecasts of 3.3%. I get get the feeling, though, um, that the Fed isn't ready to celebrate yet, is it? It's, uh, It's too early to declare victory on this.
3: I think with the Fed as well, it's not just going to be looking purely at the CPI CPI numbers. They're also looking at the wage numbers, um, mm-hmm. until those job numbers and they're pretty robust. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So until those job numbers start turning around, I think the Fed's quite happy to keep rates high and maybe uh, maybe do one more rate hike, even even despite the CPI numbers coming down. I mean, I'm on the argument that maybe they should they should just hold and wait for a few months and see what happens over the next few months. But I do know that the Fed are quite keen to um, raise one more time in September. And then probably put a hold on it. And the other thing I, I don't think is going to happen that market's trying to price in is these rate cuts. You know, where they're trying to price in a whole bunch of rate cuts next year. I think the Fed's going to quite happy to hold it at these levels for over a year mm. and just let it just ride out. Um, there, are a lot, there are large parts of the economy that are benefiting. I mean, savers and companies with like cash hoards are benefiting a lot from the mm. interest rate rises as well. So it's not just the case that if we lower rates, it's you know going to help the whole economy. It doesn't there are a lot of people who are actually enjoying the higher rates and a lot of companies who do. So I think they're quite happy to keep the rates of where they are with maybe one more rate hike in September.
2: (laughs) Uh, But uh, I think for uh, ordinary citizens who have to pay mortgages, (laughs) this is bad news because... uh, uh, I think for the average uh, uh, mortgage holder in Hong Kong, you are paying twice as much as interest as, uh, as last year. I think an interest rate can will 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 be very beneficial. Mm. Yeah, but uh, the
3: flip side is, if you go back to pre two thousand and six, what the interest rates we're paying currently is actually very very low on a historical basis. In yeah. the nineties, people were paying 14 percent on mortgage mm-hmm. rates. Yeah, yeah, three percent or three point two percent is not a huge interest on a mortgage, so uh, you know it, it's a bit of a give and take situation over here. It was artificially low for too long, though, I think. Yeah,
0: mm. this, this may not be a victory yet for the Fed, but it, I tell you who it is a victory for. It's a victory for the monetarists because they they say they believe that inflation is a function of money supply, and money supply has been declining very sharply <laughs> over the last few months in the U.S. So they've been warning for a while that mm-hmm. inflation is going to undershoot people's expectations, and people. People are going to be very surprised about just how low inflation goes, which of course will be good news uh, for, for us. If that, uh, well, so far it yeah. does seem to be coming true, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, if inflation goes down and interest is uh, falling, then it will be a big boost for the real estate market. If, if, even in Hong Kong, prices have fallen to something like eight at the level of eight years ago.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm. Let me ask you finally about Country Garden,
2: um, because this was
0: once China's biggest property developer by sales. I think yeah. it's about number five or six yeah. um, now. It's warned late last night in a stock exchange filing of a large net loss in the first half. Due to impairment on property projects and declining profit margins in its real estate business, in a filing to the stock exchange yesterday, it now expects to record a net loss of between 45 billion yuan. That's Mm -hmm. six and a quarter billion US dollars and 55 billion yuan for the first six months Mm -hmm. of the year. The previous year it raised, uh, it had made a profit of about one91 um, billion sales are down thirty-five percent from a year ago, and down sixty-one percent from two years ago. Back in twenty twenty-one, how big a problem um, is this, and how big a hole is country gardening?
2: Well, it's uh, uh, it is indebted to the tune of one point six trillion yuan,
0: about two hundred billion dollars. Yeah,
2: it's only second to uh, Evergreen. So uh, unless it receives a massive uh, capital injection and also a reviving uh, uh, property market in China, it will go under mm. I, uh, because it's really too deep in the hole. I, I don't see how we can go back.
0: Is this going to be then a bigger problem even than Evergrande? Because Country Garden has about four times as many projects as <laughs> Evergrande did. So if, if Country Garden collapses, what's the impact?
2: Well, it will, it will be catastrophic for China. So it that can't, the
0: government can't let it collapse then? Uh,
2: well, for the banks, they, they will, they, it will take them 20 years to write off the bad debt. Wow. <laughs>
3: but you've got to draw a line at some point, right? You talk mm-hmm. about Evergrande, we talk about Country Garden, we know a whole bunch of other developers they are also seriously in debt. Mm-hmm. At some point, you've got to let one of them at least go under. Mm-hmm. Because how, I mean- But how... not
0: Country Garden, surely.
3: <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know which or one. Or does it, it not matter? I th- how do you shake up this market? How do you get this market back on track? I mean, you've got, I mean you're spending a lot of good money after bad if you're not going to ever get any returns out of it. So if you're protecting Country Garden by giving them cash in order to meet their debt obligations or some of their debt obligations, because that's clearly not meeting all, um, you know, you're just literally kicking the can down the road. At some point, you've got to face these problems head on. Mm, but the, then, the
0: consequences of doing that for the property sector could be pretty disastrous, couldn't they? Because confidence is already bad. It will just destroy yeah. confidence completely, wouldn't it, in the yeah. p- mainland property a- sector?
3: A hundred percent, which is why they're not doing it. Mm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but like I said, I mean, there's so many issues at the moment over there. And it, it, it just, it's just really crazy to think. I mean, at what point does all of it come to a head? At what point does, you know, the unemployment part, the declining demographics all of this is contributing as well to the fact that there is no property sales because there's no confidence in in the Mm -hmm. country so i think you've got to look at it in terms of what are the major major problems at the moment which can potentially fix the others and to me it's starting with let's say confidence but how do you get confidence back you get people back in jobs so let's go with okay let's start focusing on how we can get people back in jobs they start earning some money they can then maybe look to upgrade and buy some property that gets some of the property market back on track. Confidence then transpires across the nation. You start getting retail sales back, and all of it then starts flowing through. But at the moment, it's just everything is... But that could
0: take years. Yeah, yeah even many, we start, No matter where years, we start
3: now, it's going yeah. to take years. There's no fix. Like, you can't today go, tomorrow I'm going to fix all these debt problems. i am going to fix unemployment. It, it, it's just impossible. But you have to have a starting point. And like Francis said, having these 31 point i mean i don't know how many points they've came up with in that week and a half <laughs> but let's say 150 points but mm-hmm. unless you're acting on them and you actually do follow through on them mm-hmm. it, it's just rhetoric which is going nowhere and you don't you're not solving a problem
0: so, so- francis final word to you then if you have a choice uh, a government bailout of um you know country mm-hmm. garden and the big developers or let them go under as nitin says Which one do you choose?
2: I will let them go under because the property market is uh, something like 20% oversupply. So it will take years to absorb the existing inventory. So it's better to just let some of them go under.
0: Okay. Well, (laughs)
2: this could well be a dramatic development.
0: We'll watch it closely, see what happens. Thank you very much. You heard there, Francis Lunn, who is the CEO of Geo Securities, Nissin Daldas, who is Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Um, let's have a look at the US inflation data, first of all. Keen- keenly weighted figures, US headline inflation, it did tick up slightly, 0.2% it rose uh, month on month. Uh, that matched the previous month's rise, and it's the first time it's the lowest back-to-back rise in uh, in two years on a monthly basis, and then on an annual basis, 3.2% year over year, up from 3% in June, but slightly Slightly below economists' expectations of 3.3%. But it does bring an end to 12 consecutive months of declines um, in the consumer price index. So where do, where do you think the Fed stands um, now? Is, is it satisfied or is there more work to do?
1: I don't think they're satisfied. I think if you look at the September meeting coming up, it's probably on balance now only a 10% chance that they'll move. Um, but interestingly, I thought the Fed governor, um, Daly, spoke uh, later in the day after the CPI did it and indicated that it was way too early to um, shout mission accomplished uh, on uh, interest rates and inflation. So, and you saw that that reflected a little bit in the move in the bond market towards the back part of the session. Combine that with a weaker 30 year bond auction. Um, I su- suspect that they're not done. Um, they're more hopeful and confident that they might have, uh, have peaked, but uh, I suspect there's still uh, a level of uh, concern within the Federal Reserve that uh, inflation's still going to be persistently high. And even if it's heading back uh, and it's 3.2 and it's 0.1 better than we expected, it's still well short of the 2% target. Mm,
0: and how does it get back to that 2% target without doing a lot of damage to the economy?
1: Uh, particularly, uh, that is that's exactly the point. What you saw in the CPI figures, I think, was used car sales, uh, airline prices, medical prices. These are pretty logical um, uh, disinflationary uh, moves because of demand and um, an overshoot probably in the price of used cars and, and airline prices, et cetera, and medical prices over the previous year. So those coming out really helped the CPI figure against that. You've still got quite a persistent high-shelter uh, cost mm. US rents and what have you and that's the persistent piece that probably is most concerning to the central banks and it's not inconsistent with what's happening here and around uh, uh, Europe as well. The shelter costs are persistently high and um, what we're not seeing is a, a labour market softness that sort of mitigates the impact of that um, and and the cooling off of that particular aspect of the of the inflation. So uh, I, I, in overall sense, I think the Fed are probably, maybe, you know, probably going to hold September, but um, ready to fire if they see any other indicators.
0: And there's a lot of data that's going to come, isn't there, before September because there's no um, intro, uh, there's no monetary policy meeting this month. So a lot of things could change between now and and September.
1: indeed. I think it's way too early to to put a line on it. Um, the, the vision of uh, George Bush uh, landing on an aircraft carrier and shouting "Mission accomplished" after <laughs> Iraq was. Somewhat salient in, uh, in drawing a <laughs> comparison, maybe. I remember to, that. Uh, <laughs> Chairman Powell. Chairman Powell, you know. Uh, uh, saying much the same thing. I think it's rare. It's definitely too early.
0: Do you think we're going to see talk at some point from the Fed about maybe learning to live with 3% inflation, particularly if it's going to be really hard to to make that, one, that extra 1% drop in inflation without, as we say, causing a lot of damage to the economy? Do you think that's going to be an option for the Fed that maybe we'll see talk about, you know, 3%? Well, actually, that's not so bad after all.
1: We've talked about this previously uh, and i I suspect it would they'd be very reluctant to do that and the reason that is is because if they say they're comfortable with three then it'll be four mm. um, you know I think uh, the because inflation's as much an expectation and if people feel that prices are going to be higher and there's going to be persistently higher they will be it's not um, um, and that, and that I would think is the concern of the Fed is that they don't want to create any expectation that uh, they are prepared to uh, give up the fight on getting prices back down to 2% because they know in the long term that's the best thing for the economy. Uh, and so I suspect that they may may live with 3% but they're not going to tell anyone.
0: Mm, no, That's not going to become their official policy at any time soon anyway. Correct. What no. do you make of the reaction in the markets, particularly the bond markets? We've got what's known as bear steepening going on. So for listeners, that basically means yields are rising, but they're rising even faster um, at the long end of the curve. 10-year, 30-year bonds, the yields are jumping much higher than at the, the two-year end, which is in effect steepening the yield curve, although because it's inverted, it just makes it less inverted. But this is, in many ways, not a good trade, is it?
1: No, particularly if you're an, in, for an equity investor because um, the price to yield on stocks is driven off the 10-year. So as the 10-year goes higher, um, the earnings yield on stocks um, becomes a little less attractive. So that's one aspect of that. Uh, it also probably reflects that even if interest rates aren't going higher at the short end, they'll be persistently higher over the duration. So therefore, the, the curve steepens off the back of that. So, yeah, it's not a, it's not a good sign. Um, having said that, I guess if people look at inverted yield curves and say as an indicator of recession, it may be a, some, somewhat of an unwind of that scenario, which suggests we might get the soft landing and the market's pricing that. Um, but I think that's probably not the driver of long-term bond yields right now. Mm,
0: and it's sort of brought a halt, hasn't it, to uh, the rally that we've been seeing in artificial intelligence stocks like uh, Nvidia and, and others. This, uh, this, this uh, steepening yield curve and rising yields in general—it's um, not really great for those growth stocks.
1: Yeah, and I think yeah, you know, one of the things that's probably emerging as concern is you know some of the default risk, some of the credit risk. Uh, you know, if you look at the do- downgrades of the banks by Moody's, uh, the previous one on on the US economy um, last week, the sense that there might be some uh, uh, issue around credit quality uh, risk, um, that's always going to be reflected in higher yields, yields at yields the long end. So, a bit premature to say that that's the driver of it. But uh, if the issuance in the in the in the treasury auctions are starting to get a little priced a bit. And negatively, then, you know, that's probably going to feed through to um, the long end uh, of the curve quite quickly. And that's something we're watching reasonably closely now, just some emerging signs of risk off.
0: Mm. And Well, let's keep the, the, the inflation story going. If we go over to India, the Reserve Bank of India there kept its benchmark policy interest rate unchanged at 6.5% for the third consecutive meeting yesterday. That was in line with market expectations. However, it's raised its inflation forecast uh, for fiscal year 24 from 5.1% to 5.4% and is also warned that it expects headline inflation to surge in July and August led by vegetable um, prices. There, it seems to be You know, after after doing a pretty good job at taming inflation, they seem to be a bit worried all of a sudden.
1: Uh, India tends to live with a higher level of inflation, um, and the headline figure will be more volatile because they're so uh, the food prices have such a significant impact. So, what happens with the monsoon season and the growing season really has a, a direct impact on prices. Much more volatile series. Uh, Structurally, India has generally a high inflation. So what the Reserve Bank is saying is, look, you know, um, we're staying put for the minute, but uh, we do expect some volatility in the headline numbers of inflation, which may lead them to raise rates, but they tend to be able to persist with a higher level of inflation over time. So right now, I think uh, um, they're sending a warning signal to the market that uh, we need to be aware uh, that we'll see high prices uh, and most likely at the headline level and driven by food. Um, But overall, structurally, inflation is going to be persisting in that high four to fives. And that's something that they'll live with, I think, generally in India.
0: Mm. Now, if we move over to China, China has now fallen into deflation on both the consumer price side and the uh, the uh, producer price side as well. The uh, consumer price index down 0.3% year on year, although it did rise month on month, which has sort of rather negated some of the concerns there. But how how much do you think um, China could export this deflation around the world and have an impact on what the Fed and other central banks are doing?
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting story right now in China, uh, you know, so the export and import data, um, both substantially down, so exports are down 14.5%, that reflects softer demand um, than uh, what they had probably envisaged uh, uh, previously with the China recovery, uh, importantly imports down 12%. Mm.
3: Um,
1: so there is a definitely a deflationary pressure on activity in the domestic economy, and one of the other aspects, is I think, which is deflationary as well, is that they probably build up a lot of supply in expectation of the domestic recovery being much stronger. So you find that they're probably now having slightly slightly big inventory build-ups across various sectors, which means some more discounting of prices to try to um, you know, get sales, which has a further deflationary impact. Um, and if the world, if the if the external economy, you know, Europe and uh, uh, U.S. etc. continue to slow, then that's going to impact China even more, and so that exporting of deflation could could persist. The other aspect, which is more structural, is that there, in in terms of uh, China, is the pivot away from China as uh, uh, as as the hub for manufacturing and and other you know so other areas of of Asia benefiting from that's more structurally, you know, the China plus one strategy of a lot of foreign firms now not having everything in China and trying to reshore Hmm. also or to find countries like Vietnam, India, Philippines, etc. So there's a lot of things going on and a very interesting story in China right now.
0: Uh, I suppose the other problem with this is that if CPI and PPI are both now in negative territory, it means real interest rates are going up for businesses and for individuals, which of course is also a problem. So presumably somehow China's got to react in some way because it doesn't want to let the economy um, sort of slide into a deflationary spiral.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it, if um, I mean clearly they've got the, the the levers to be able to pull. They've got plenty of capacity to to provide stimulus. Uh, it's an interesting conundrum right now. I don't know if we're at panic stations yet from, from a <laughs> China perspective, but they're, they're certainly probably disappointed with with how things have gone, uh, and you know you see that reflected in the property market um, most significantly, and that represents something you know domestic of about thirty percent of GDP. So. Uh, That sentiment doesn't help uh, when you start to see things happening in the property market that continue to show stress.
0: Okay, Toby, that's great. Thank you very much indeed. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia.
1: You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk.
0: Thank you very much for listening uh, this morning and this week. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Lashar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. Providing a view from mainland China will be independent economist Andy Cher. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.